Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today on The Bell Tell, has MI5 put an end to armed republicanism? We as revolutionary Irish Republicans will continue to remember 1916. And in this, the centenary year of Pierce's famous oration at the grave of O'Donovan Rosset, we remember his words, Ireland on free shall never be at peace. From the Oma bomb to the murder of Lyra McKee. Dissident Republicans have rejected the Good Friday Agreement and continued their violent campaigns. The IRA is an army, and as an army, any installation or aspects of British occupation within six counties, any infrastructure would be a legitimate target for attack and armed actions against those infrastructures and against the people who are manning them. That's the rhetoric, but what's the reality? Dennis McFadden infiltrated the new IRA As an MI5 agent, he actually came as an informer and infiltrated them as an MI5 agent. Dissident Republican groups have been on the back foot in recent years. A bugging operation in 2020 led to the roundup of its alleged leadership. And for the first time since 2010, it has downgraded the terrorism threat level. I'm Kieran Dunbar and I'm joined by the Belfast Telegraph security correspondent, Alison Morris. So Alison, what is the threat level and what's it been lowered to? Well, quite recently, the the threat level was lowered from severe to substantial. That just meant that attack, you know, was likely at one stage to attack is still possible. Um, It's significant in that that's the first time that threat level has been lowered to that rate in 12 years. So it does show that the threat from dissident Republicans, at least, and we need to be really clear about this, that MI5 are only involved in people who are a threat to national security. So they usually and only comprehensively deal with Republican paramilitary groups who they believe are a threat to the state. MI5 would not be looking at this stage at the loyalist paramilitary groups that would be left to the PSNI Special Branch, the National Crime Agency, those sort of organisations. Dissident republicanism in the paramilitary sense at this point. How would you assess the state of it and how many people might be involved and it's, it, it is very small. Now, people might think that there is larger numbers of people involved in these groups than what actually are, because if you see sometimes when they'll hold like parades or demonstrations, you know, they can a- attract a crowd of, you know, maybe sort of 800, 1,000 people. A lot of those people are literally just kids, just rubbernecking, you know, just there to watch and see what's happening for a bit of colour and spectacle. When you come to actual numbers, you're down into the hundreds. Um, and in some of those organisations you know, that are are possibly more or less defunct, you're talking about, into the dozens. 
the real IRA after the OMA bomb and that atrocity of the OMA bomb, you know, all public support for that organisation was gone. And, you know, for any group to function, they have to have a degree of support within their own community, however small, because they rely on that support network, people who allow them to use their houses, who allow them, you know, um, in in some ways to, you know, hide equipment and hide weapons and all of that. They require a support network and, you know, the real IRA knew that number was up. So um, if you go back to the end of 2011, the real IRA then decided to form a merger group and they formed that with a group that was active in Derry called Republican Action Against Drugs, which was literally just a vigilante group that was, you know, kneecapping young people involved in antisocial behaviour, people they claimed were involved in, in drug dealing. They merged with them and a couple of, you know, quite serious characters from Tyrone. So um, they called sort of independent Republicans, but they were boys who would have been connected to the provisional IRA and they were people who more importantly had weapons and you know accessing weapons was always the most difficult part for these groups and so that was what formed the merger very quickly when that merger was basically just announced within weeks they killed um, David Black a prison officer on his way to work He's travelling along in his car. A car pulls up alongside him, travelling on a motorway at speed, winds down the window and riddles him with automatic gunfire. And that was the introduction, I suppose, of what we call the new IRA. The continuity IRA, it has since morphed into something of, it was, you know, an old boys club. They, they will pull together, you know, a couple of hundred people to have a march at Easter. But apart from that, they're not any great threat. There was an attempt to regroup in and around the border and they were using the protocol as part of that. So when there was talk that there might be infrastructure at the border, the continuity IRA left a few bombs, one that they claimed was live, a few bomb alerts in around Wattlebridge and around the Fermanagh border. That was an attempt to regroup there, but not with any great success. They don't pose any real threat at this time. And again, MI5 did you know a number on them and there was a load of members of that group arrested in Uri. Um They were mostly older older people as well. Um, the only other group that was any serious threat was Oglin Hearn. And they were a genuine threat at one point. You know, they were responsible for a bomb attack on Potter Heffron, a police officer who was on his way to work. A bomb exploded under his car. He narrowly survived it, but he lost a leg and ended up in a wheelchair. And Potter Heffron was the new face of the PSNI. He was the poster boy for the PSNI. He was a Gaelic-playing, Irish-speaking, you know, nationalist community. He appeared at, you know, police and board meetings and spoke in Irish. He was part of the PSNI's Gaelic team. They moved him front and centre as the, this is the new face in the transformation of the PSNI and that really put a target on his back. If you think of Ronan Kerr as well, again a Catholic police officer, again targeted and these sort of attacks were clearly aimed at saying to members of the nationalist community, you know, if you join the PSNI, you, this is what's going to happen. So that was all very deliberate. What happened with with, um, with Oglin O'Hearn is a pattern we've seen repeated recently is that the intelligence agencies in the PSNI and in connection with the, the guards in the south took their leadership out. So um, Seamus McGran, Shea McGran would have been a man who had, you know, professional IRA credentials. He was arrested in a sort of MI5 sting. They claimed he was trying to um, launch an attack on Prince Charles when he visited the south. He died in prison. He would have been, you know, a senior figure in Oglenhorn. And someone who they allege was one of the leadership in the North, who was Carl Riley, was arrested again in a very similar intelligence-led sting. But once you take the head off a snake, that was basically the 
they went into the talks and then they announced in 2008 that they were or 2018 sorry that they were calling a cessation of violence so that left just one real danger and that was an IRA. So why are there so many groups? Why weren't they able to come together? And who are they? I mean, are they mostly former provisional IRA members? Are they new, younger people? Uh, that, that's a question, I suppose, would occur to a lot of people. So there was a, a former IRA prisoner called Tony Catney, TC, who um, had, you know, spent many years in prison as a provisional IRA prisoner. He came out of prison. He then became involved in distant republicanism, involved in several of those republican groups, and he attempted to form this sort of super group, you know, the super dissident group. That fell apart for various reasons. There was a lot of mistrust, a lot of egos. Um, Tony Catney, it was later claimed, had been an informer and that his name was one of those in, um, including the special branch files. And he introduced a person called Dennis McFadden. Dennis McFadden managed a bar on the Falls Road um, and he introduced him and sort of vouched for him. Dennis McFadden was uh, a fellow from Scotland, he was from Glasgow. Um, he claimed to have, you know, connections through his family, this sort of Celtic football, and a lot of Republicans would have went back and forward and seen him. And so he became infiltrated in the new IRA from those very, very early days. Um, and so therefore remained from that group was formed until what we've seen happen in August 2019 when the entire alleged leadership of the new IRA was arrested on information that was provided from a sting that was organised by Dennis McFadden. Dennis McFadden infiltrated the new IRA as an MI5 agent. He actually came as an informer and infiltrated them as an MI5 agent. Um, and he was introduced to them by, as I said, TC. TC later died of cancer. Dennis McFadden continued and was um, a member of SURA as well, which would then be the political wing of the new IRA. So what we're saying is the dissidents have been weakened, n- not by politics, but by the security apparatus. They have been considerably weakened by politics as well because the, the world changed so much. So I think that for you know those who seek to for reunification, that Brexit was, you know, I suppose the biggest bonus handed to them because they were able to say, well, you know, what people are campaigning for now in effect when they talk about New Ireland is a reunification and a rejoining of the EU and all of those sort of things. So there's a clear political path to a future border poll. So therefore, it becomes harder and harder for those groups that are engaged in violence to justify that. And obviously, and to get support from a public who even the staunchest of Republicans will say, well, there's got to be a border poll in a few years. Why are you doing this? They were pretty ineffective anyway, and most of the people at the New IRA have killed were members of their own community. And so, you know, they killed um, Michael McGibbon, who was a taxi driver from Ardoyne. Um, they killed a guy called Connor McKee, who was basically a young fellow with a, a heroin addiction, you know, um, who they shot at his mother's home in the old park. They killed Lara McKee, standing at a, a riot that they'd basically organised for cameras in the Craigan Estates. Police in Northern Ireland are treating the killing of a young journalist there as a terror incident. 29-year-old investigative journalist Leora McKee was shot Thursday night when a gunman opened fire towards police during a riot in Londonderry. We believe it's been carried out by violent Disney Republicans. Our assessment at this time would be that the new IRA are most likely to be the ones behind us and that forms our primary line of inquiry. And you mentioned uh, Leora McKee. And obviously that was, I mean, all deaths are tragic, 
But her death was one which was broadcast around the world, which had a huge, huge impact. Well, first thing I would say about that is the person who fired that weapon, he was sent out to basically fire a very low calibre gun at a police jeep, which was like literally throwing ice cream at a tank for all the use it would have had, that was sent out to do that, was a teenager themselves, was someone who was born after the Good Friday Agreement. It should have been, you know, someone who was enjoying the benefits of peace. And I, that is one of the things that frustrated me mostly about that sort of dissident movement, that they were current, you know, constantly recruiting very young and impressionable men, men who come from socially and economically deprived parts of, you know, Derry, North Belfast, those sort of places, and sent them out to do that. Um, and the fact was, you know, one person who should have been enjoying the benefits of the peace process killed another person who should have been enjoying the benefits of the peace process. You know, two young lives involved in that and one who tragically lost her life. That was a major, major turning point in the new IRA's fortunes. Since then, they have been basically decimated. We have been told that Theresa May, who was the Prime Minister at the time, held meetings with the MI5 and intelligence agencies, asked the degree that they had a handle on this group and told them to go out and decimate them, take them out, that's it, they're done, we're finished with this. And that was then when we have seen that an agent like Dennis McFadden, someone who for over 10 years had been infiltrated in this group, you do not just pull an agent like that out and compromise them for no reason. When they were pulling him out and taking him out, they were taking him out and taking the whole leadership of that organisation out at the same time. And that's exactly what happened. Geographically, uh, when we think about dissident Republicans, two places you mentioned are North Belfast and Derry. East Tyrone, West Belfast and South Armagh, the, the, the heartlands of the provisional IRA in military terms. Why did they not have a foothold there? Ogun Ahern did for a time. They had people who were involved and that's how they were able to make bombs and stuff because they had people who were involved in that sort of South Armagh. But a lot of those people fell away because they were, they, I think they could see how heavily infiltrated and basically that this wasn't going anywhere. What you find with organisations like the new IRA is that they prey on places where there is no obvious dividend from the peace process. So they play on places where there was high levels of unemployment, places like Craigan, places like Ardoin, places where young people have not and seen the benefits of peace that they should have. That makes them easier to recruit. And look, this is not, you know, some sort of magic, you know, formula that exists only in here in, in Northern Ireland. If you go to any working class housing state anywhere in the north of England, you'll see criminal gangs recruit young people from those, you know, socially deprived because if you have nothing, being a member of an organisation gives you status, it gives you something, you know. It's no secret that you could draw a circle around the places that are most economically deprived and the other places where paramilitaries, be they loyalist or Republicans, still have a major foothold. MI5. Sometimes as a journalist I would mention MI5 and people look at you almost incredulously. They honestly believe that this is something from TV that they don't actually exist. And what do they do? I mean, they're not they're not walking around West Belfast with fake moustaches. What do they do? No, well, I mean, in this case, they were running the informer who was Dennis McFadden. Dennis McFadden arranged two meetings of the new IRA in houses that he hired from Airbnb, bizarrely. Those houses, prior to the arrival of the alleged members of the new IRA, were literally wired for sound. So MI5 went in and they bugged every single room of those houses with audio and with camera. So by the time Dennis brings the members of the new IRA to those meetings, I have been told that the recordings of these meetings where they discussed 
terrorist activity. They discussed the potential bombing of Shannon Airport in an attempt to win favour from Islamic um, terrorist groups who might provide them with weapons, because we know Shannon's been used by the, you know, the American government. Um, they discussed at one stage kidnapping a former Republican because they believed that he had access to, to weapons. I'm told that they introduced themselves by their rank within that organisation, despite the fact that they all knew each other. So, I mean, they were, you know, caught to the point where I don't even know what kind of defence they're going to present. Can I ask about McFadden? This is fascinating. I am very interested about who these people are. I mean, he wasn't someone turned... He joined, but he—he's not. He wasn't a Cambridge graduate who was recruited into the intelligence services in the in the 007 route. I mean, how did he come about? Do we know that he was from the you know the Gorbals in Glasgow, and he arrived here. I you know over twenty years ago. At one stage, he was working in a nightclub in the city centre, running the doorman down there. And at that stage, he was mixing in circles with loyalist paramilitaries and he was involved with people who were involved in the, the drugs trade. He then moved on and for a while became a member of Sinn Féin in North Antrim. And there was concerns raised about him there. He had a different persona for each place that he went. He told loyalist paramilitaries he'd been a former paratrooper and that he had been a member of the parachute regiment and he had served in all these different places and he'd been, yeah, and they checked that out and asked members of the parachute regiment who said they'd never heard of him and he did, that was that was untrue. He then joined Sinn Féin, he told them he was a pilot for a commercial airline. One of them happened to know a girl who worked as an air hostess in that airline and asked and she checked and came back and said there's no one, no pilot by that name, works for them, you know, he's a liar. When he then moved on to the IRA, he told them that he was a hotel security inspector and that he had to go away for long periods of time. So that accounted for his absence. So obviously there was times when he did not live this double life and went on to live wherever else he lived. But he was in a relationship with a local woman. He had a child, that person. She disappeared along with him. When he disappeared about two weeks before those arrests and there was a bit of a panic because people were saying, has anyone seen Dennis? And the house was empty and fans came and took away all the furniture. He had a bar built on the side of the house and right up until that point in time, if you remember in that sort of August 2019, we all went into um, lockdown, or August 2020, we went into lockdown previous to, to that. There was people drinking in his bar because the bars were closed. So he had these sort of senior members in the IRA up drinking in his house, filling them full of drink. They're all, you know, waffling away. That was all bugged as well. Um, and then he has just disappeared and we don't know where Dennis McFadden is. At this point in time, he's not on the witness list to give evidence in these trials of these people who are being arrested. He probably isn't needed as such because the evidence against him is so overwhelming. But you would imagine that some of their defence teams might want to try and sort of lure MI5 in, out into to producing him. But at this point in time, Dennis McFadden, I assume, has a new identity, a new name, and is lying on a beach somewhere. I have no idea, but he is, you know, he has disappeared off the face of the earth. Obviously a very important human resource for MI5. Nevertheless, he's not on the witness list. So they, it's, it's a tech which has finished off dissident republicanism. Technology has improved to such a degree that when I look at those previous MI5 cases, it required voice recognition experts. It, it required people to, you know, give analysis that, you know, this is the way this person walks, this is the way they move, this is the right height, this is the right build. None of that is necessary in this case. You know, you know, I've been told it is cinema quality practically. And not only that, when these meetings were finished, 
these people, you know, they've been sitting around, they're drinking coffee, they're drinking tea, they were smoking. When they get up to leave, Dennis McFadden said, don't worry about the mess. I'll clear that all up. Just use all head on. I'll clean everything up. And then when they left, MI5 swoops in, takes coffee cups, takes ashtrays, takes prints off doors, everything. So these people's DNA is all over this. They have, you know, they, there's no way anyone can deny they were in that house. Um, and so the technology, yeah, I think it was the trusting of Dennis McFadden to the degree that they they allowed him such a high profile within the organisation and to organise these meetings. But it was also the technology has moved on so much that it is, you know, now almost impossible, I think, to evade, you know, MI5. And I'm assuming that anyone with any sense who's in those groups knows that the gig is up and that, you know, that is impossible in a modern setting for them to try and run any sort of, you know, terrorist group or paramilitary campaign when that kind of technology and infiltration exists. And finally, I mean, can we say after having this conversation, and it's a difficult question to answer, but militant Irish republicanism, it goes back hundreds of years. Can we really say it's defunct? I would never say never. And, you know, as someone who has taken, you know, close interest and who reads constantly about the history of this island that we live in, our silence, you know, violence comes in cycles, usually in, in sort of cycles of like 50 years. Um, you can't ever say ever because all it takes is one event. So if you think back to what it was, what galvanised republicanism in the 70s, internment without trial. You know, the British introduced that policy. It was disastrous and it literally became, you know, a sort of recruiting sergeant for, for the IRA. Um, you know, when people feel that their human rights are in some way impacted or that their they're back's against the wall. I do think, you know, there's times when I have been looking at those rats and street disturbances and thinking if, you know, if a child is killed with a plastic bullet or if, you know, something happens to inflame that, that could start something that could then snowball out of control and become something that could be very difficult to manage. So I would never say never. I do think that the onus is definitely on those in the political arena, be they the British government, the Irish government or politics locally, to ensure that that peace remains. And that is done by ensuring that none of those seismic sort of moments that happened in the past never occur again. And and that's the, the secret to it. And we also have to make sure that young people who might be potentially, you know, the the sort of paramilitary leaders of the future, that they have a future that looks much brighter than that and so they're not attracted towards those groups. Alison Morris, security correspondent with the Belfast Telegraph. Thank you. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, with Graham Davidson on sound design. Sound clips from The Guardian, Vice News and Channel 4. 